Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Indian Art Podcast where we interview some of India's next best analytical and creative minds who are not only revolutionizing their own field but at the same time transforming India's entrepreneurial ecosystem one step at a time. Our guest for the day is a public policy entrepreneur and the founder of The Dialogue, an emerging policy think tank. A lawyer by profession, he is one of the leading voices in India's policy ecosystem with a focus on technology, energy, strategic affairs and development studies. We have with us Kazim Rizvi. Let us jump right into the conversation. Uh hi Kazim, I hope you're all settled in. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot Gautam. Okay, great. Great. So, let us start things off. You started the dialogue back in 2017 and ever since then it has been a wonderful journey for you guys. So, why don't you walk us through your Indian Art origin story since we've officially dubbed you an Indian Art? Right. So, thanks a lot first of all Gautam for having me here and uh Uh, making me you know sort of talk about the journey i had uh so back in 2015 uh winter of 2015 is when i started ideating about the dialogue and uh, it basically came from deep frustration with the way indian political discourse uh was taking place and uh, me and a few of my friends we sort of figured out that there was a lack of progressive policy based discussions in the indian uh, discourse and that was something which was missing uh, still is but that was one of the key reasons why we came up with the idea of creating a platform which would facilitate policy dialogues and policy discussions on various issues and that could be a way to inform the government on the impact of policies and why we need to enact or come up with regulations which help the country go forward So in 2016 uh, we sort of ideated the uh, uh, platform and then we registered in 2017 mid 2017 that was when I left my full time job uh, and in June 2017 we registered uh, the organization as a non for profit and that's how we started uh, the think tank uh, we work on three key pillars and the the work we do is around informing government and other stakeholders on the impact of policy and the need for uh, going ahead with the progressive uh, policy regime in the country and the focus for us uh, for the last 3 years has been predominantly been tech policy that's the area where uh, we we have a lot of focus on of course we would like to diversify going ahead in the future but right now tech policy constitutes pretty much 90% of the work we do um and the 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 way we come about with our programs very simple we we commission research so we come up with various studies uh, on issues around data protection privacy we are looking at e-commerce we are looking at uh, technology policy from different angles cyber security the geopolitics of tech policy uh, as well as foreign policy interlinkages of uh, technology policy in india uh, as well as you know surveillance reforms and we are also coming up with uh, studies around telecom issues and how that uh, ha- in sort of uh, works and closely intersection closely intermingles with uh, technology so we, we look at a complete sort of overview of technology in the country and even emerging technologies such as ai um you know and iot and other areas where we sort of have a lot of focus on and we come up with research papers we uh work with government we inform them so we submit our recommendations to them on a regular basis and we also drive discussions and public consultations where we invite stakeholders from different 
backgrounds and different expertise to come and join us and give us inputs on the impact of uh, on, of these policies, internet regulations, social media regulations as well. And then uh, we collate these ideas and then we go back to the government and then we keep informing them and telling them that, look, these are the issues and this is how you should solve and uh, basically go ahead with uh, crafting a more progressive policy regime, which can help in terms of creating jobs it helps in also making sure that india is um ecosystem which receives uh, enough investments uh protecting users rights protecting human rights on the internet and as well as protecting privacy which is the key focus for the work we do that's that's actually quite uh quite excellent busy i have a bunch of follow-up questions on this answer so i'm just going to start my mental checklist now so the first thing being that uh you talked about entering public policy uh as a discipline alongside alongside your peers back in 2016 this idea came to your mind and then you officially entered it back in 2017 so over the past few years we've really seen public policy emerge as a discipline specifically amongst the younger generation so why do you think right. there has been this rise in this discipline or this interest sudden interest in this discipline? so gotham had- I graduated from law school in 2012 and at that time when, when I was studying, public policy was just beginning uh, as, as a profession. It wasn't really a very uh, organized sector as legal field was and still is. And uh, there was a lot of interest in, in, in me to sort of understand what is public policy all about and uh, what is the idea behind policy. and. Um, it so happened that I I wanted to, when I left law school, I did litigation for a while and uh, just didn't cut the mustard for me. And I realized that I wanted to do something broader and something more comprehensive, something with a bigger impact on society. And public policy as a field appealed to me because the, the, the idea of public policy is to basically uh, inform the stakeholders and come up with policies for the public, for the community, which, which helps the society go forward. And that sounded really idealistic uh, to me and that sounded really uh, sort of, it matched my uh, focus on, uh, uh, you know, coming up with uh, guidelines and regulations that can help uh, India usher into the 21st century as a country which protects its citizens' rights and also ensures that we are on a great path of economic growth. And so it happened that I started taking more and more interest in the field and uh, I worked in a consultancy firm, then I worked with the bilateral institution as well. And that's where I really sort of uh, understood the nuances of how the ecosystem works, you know, and a lot of the work we do is around informing through evidence-based research. Uh, So the two pillars, the three pillars which I spoke about earlier uh, with respect to research and uh, taking the research to the right stakeholders, uh, when we started the dialogue, one of the gaps we saw in the domain was that there was a lot of great research happening, but uh, the important people were not really talking about it or getting to know about it or really reading it. And the outreach and I'm the sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. When you say important people, do you mean the various stakeholders such as the RPI or the various public bodies, the government? Yeah, are, are those the important government. People? Bureaucrats, yeah, bureaucrats, parliamentarians, uh, people who work closely with them, influencers, uh, those who have some say in terms of what should the new uh, vision of uh, India's tech policy or whatever area you're working on should be. And that was the gap we tried to cover while at the same time making sure that we came up with independent research which had strong database, uh, data-driven um ideas as well as input from people who know what they're talking about i think that was also very crucial for us to be able to 
sort of uh, compile in a in a format which was appealable to the stakeholders and uh, that's how we started doing our consultations where we invited industry we invite uh, experts consultants um, activists uh, researchers uh, think tankers uh, bilateral institutions multilateral institution experts so all of their voices combining all of these voices into one piece and then arriving at a solution and then giving it to the government and then continuously complete, completing this loop, right? Coming up with more research ideas and coming up with consultations. And that was the nature of uh, public policy, which uh, sort of we started focusing a lot more on. And now what we are seeing in the last three, four years is uh, the establishment of more think tanks in India. First of all, I think there have been more think tanks than before. And second is the fact that a lot more young people uh, in the age of mid-20s or early 30s uh, are taking interest in this space because I'm seeing that a lot of them want to make a difference in the way this country is functioning. And I think it's very simple. If you want to make a difference, you have to do something about it. And what we were able to do and are trying to do is build this institution, which facilitates multiple perspectives and then comes comes up with ideas that can help uh, the government sort of navigate the path, the very technical and very difficult path of coming up with public pol- a policy, which caters to public at large. And that's, that's not an easy job. I mean, you have to when you have to make a lot of compromises. So it's our job to see what best solutions we can arrive at uh, with the limitations we have, with the opportunities we have. Okay. Uh, I want to focus on two different aspects over here based on your answer. The first being that, uh, do you think that the government now or the various stakeholders, because of the rise in emergency think tanks, are they proactively accepting recommendations? Are they proactively accepting responses? Are they proactively listening to what what various various other intermediaries have to say about various tech policies? For example, if we look at uh, the most recent example of say cryptocurrency, right? So the thing is that uh, back in uh, back in uh, March two thousand twenty, the the Supreme Court went back and you know revoked the ban on cryptocurrency, which was put in place by the RBI, right? But we are recently reading once again news that. Uh, there is a possibility that crypto could be banned again through through right. a bill in the parliament. But uh, a lot of a lot of think tanks and a lot of a lot of experts do voice their concerns that instead of instead of say banning cryptocurrency, there should instead be regulation. Hmm. So do you think that certain certain technology sectors where where the government where the government or various stakeholders do not fully comprehend as to what the what the situation is or whether they're stifling innovation or not? Do you think in these places the government is actually listening to other 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 intermediaries such as yourself, or are they are they reacting in a knee jerk way? I think it's a mix of both. Uh, there are times when the government has come up with uh, draft bills or draft policies which are most maybe a knee jerk reaction to the situation. But at the same time, um, I would say that government is. Uh, driving consultations mm. at the same time. Uh, we've had, we are having a very strong consultation in the data protection bill, for example. Right. It's been going on for the last uh, couple of years when the Justice Shri Krishna came out with his report. And after that, the government came up with the draft bill and then another bill last year in December. And that process is going on. There's a joint parliamentary committee looking into it and uh, they are taking input from multiple stakeholders. So yes, the government is interested to hear what others have to say. Uh, they are interested in understanding what multiple views uh, are coming out from India's tech policy ecosystem. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's their decision. 
right absolutely uh, draft policies and uh, you know come up with laws the way they think is best for the nation and in their wisdom that's the power they have because they are an elected government uh, but however i think the example you have mentioned about cryptocurrency uh, is a great one uh, you know so another example which i want to talk about is the non person data report which was just released by the committee of experts and that there is a consultation going on there as well uh, we've given our inputs uh, and a lot of other stakeholders have also sort of spoke about the need for more work on the report because it's not a finished product yet so i do believe that uh, experts and i mean the government stakeholders are listening in fact we've had some of them uh talk to us speak to us about it and we've interacted with them and uh, they've always been proactively welcoming these suggestions and these inputs uh, another example i can give you is uh, on arogya setu uh and uh, even though that's not a finished job when you look at the privacy concerns of the arogya setu app there are still a few concerns but from where it was in early 2020 to where we are now we've seen a, mo- a sort of shift in uh, the government taking this uh, issue more seriously the issue of privacy and uh, trying to come up with guidelines and uh, policies which adhere to a basic benchmark or a basic strong data protection benchmark or a framework in fact we were one of the organizations that uh, pushed for uh, uh, progressive privacy policies within the app itself and we saw some of those suggestions uh, coming out in the gov- in the in the in the draft policy and the guideline later on although there are a few gaps still there are a few gaps which have to be met um, i mean they sort of the, the issues around source code and etc so yeah it's a mixed bag it's not a i mean you can't say that government is is listening completely and taking all the inputs and coming up with how the community wants it to be but at the same time you can't also say that there is completely opaque uh, functionality uh, with respect to how they perform uh, we are somewhere in the middle the fight or the struggle is that how best can we make sure that we put our inputs and suggestions which are reflective in the policy documents which cater to the entire society at large and ticks all the boxes of privacy of economic benefit of uh, you know making sure that indian industry grows as well of uh, you know making sure that you get investments from abroad so there are many areas and many pillars to how policies and laws are adopted and the impact uh, the regulations will have and these impacts are uh, far reaching uh, and which is where i think consultation is critical uh, for the government to continue to do so however at the same time there have been instances where the government has not given enough time uh, to maybe you know some of the uh, issues which is trying to work on and maybe we've also felt that there have been times when there have been too many uh, regulations on digital ecosystem at the same time which you know makes it look like are we trying to hurry up into coming up with draft policies uh, i think we should wait a little talk a little more and then you know come up with guidelines which cater to all the uh, all the pillars of the ecosystem so i think yeah that that's a work in progress and uh, we are definitely part of that ecosystem and we keep pushing the government as well as other stakeholders to make sure that uh, and at the end of the day what we uh, have is a version which is closest to what the entire society deserves okay uh, kazim that sounds great all right uh, i completely understand where uh, the dialogue now fits into the entire public policy ecosystem right and how the dialogue is engaging with various uh, government stakeholders uh, to try to push more progressive economic and tech based policy reforms all right uh, but 
now i want to focus on your organization slightly more deeply right because the thing is that you're an entrepreneur right at the end of the day and i want to focus and understand exactly how think tanks work all right because the thing is that uh, the thing is that the dialogue is is giving out information which is a public good right and consumption of information by one person does not preclude someone else from consuming it even if they haven't paid for it for example so i want to understand how does a think tank like the dialogue monetize the information or the research it generates and in the most bluntest of terms how does a startup make money yeah so it's very simple uh, uh, gotham we we organize org- consultations we organize events so we get sponsored by that uh, for for that so by the industry or by non for profit organizations or philanthropic organizations then we come up with the research so we get sponsored for that as well at the same time we also uh, you know we are working we work with government bodies in the past where we've been paid for the research we've done similarly you know we are also engaging with bilateral institutions multilateral institutions as well where some of them uh, fund some of the research or consultations which we drive and that's how you know we are able to sort of uh, keep coming up with regular inputs and reports so it's a very straightforward model and the idea is to make sure that uh, you know we are regularly churning out submissions and reports which we then take feedback on also from the people who are reading it the stakeholders who are consuming it as well as uh, the sponsors and the organizations that are supporting us so it's a it's a sort of a loop that we continuously drive and uh, that's how we are able to make sure that you know we have uh, enough people in the team who are able to help us support us and keep coming up with the research input output that we need uh so i now wish to focus on your subject matter expertise right and that is the tech policy of india so uh let us start off with the first topic all right so recently the wall street journal did a piece alleging that facebook india's public policy head uh had had his or her own political leanings which influenced decisions made by facebook with respect to the hate speech policy of india for india in the larger context of safe harbor rules and free speech these apps enable Do you think that something can be done to ensure that intermediaries such as Facebook, Twitter, or various other social media mm-hmm. platforms at least uniformly apply the community guidelines they have set out for themselves? Because we've seen examples where uh, statements made by Donald Trump can be can be construed to be false, right? But this, uh, but at the same time, they've still been allowed to stay on the platform because at the end of the day, he is the president of the United States of America. So uh, and. what that wall street journal piece alleged that in india a couple of statements made by politicians could be considered hate speech but they were not taken down and rather they were quite uh, quite openly promoted of the sorts so do you think that these platforms are doing enough and are they even enforcing their own existing rules properly to everyone or are or do they are they showcasing biases so i think this is uh, you know a recurring question and uh, a question which has been asked a lot over the last couple of months especially with how things have unfolded as you mentioned and i think this is a debate in the interliability space which is an ever evolving debate and uh, this requires a lot of attention uh, from all stakeholders to make sure that you know we have an internet which is free for all yet safe for all i think just to start off with i think it's fundamentally critical that all platforms be facebook or twitter or whoever is a uh, uh, sort of uh, publishing third party content uh, comes up with transparent community guidelines which people are reading people have access to and people know 
how these uh, uh, guidelines function. I think that's fundamentally critical for platforms to make sure that happens. Number one. Number two, uh, where we are seeing uh, this entire debate going forward is also with respect to how content is being taken down. So once again, um, the people who are publishing the content on these platforms, they, they want great, greater trust with the platforms they are on. I think this is which is where it's very critical that uh, these platforms work with people and civil society and other stakeholders to keep refining and improving on the community guidelines so that they have the most robust uh, uh, mechanisms to take down hate content wherever uh, their guidelines are sort of flagging the hate content. So I think that's the second point which is very important for these platforms to make sure. Third part is to have greater accountability with regard to the schemes of content moderation, the way content removal is taking place and the implementation. How are you implementing these community guidelines? What are the uh, sort of parameters you're judging to take down some content and how are you judging those parameters? So I think those aspects have to be very clearly laid out for the platforms. Then I think what's also very important and what we are also hearing is the fact that the IT Act uh, might get amended in the coming months and years. Uh, we believe that third party auditing of the content is uh, the third party auditing with respect to how uh, these community guidelines are functioning is important and uh, it is critical that you know these platforms are not just developing robust community guidelines with input from public community publicly share their update and detailed content monitoring moderation take down protocols but also the fact that this is all reviewed regularly and it's updated and evolving on a continuous basis the way the society is evolving as well so I think as society is evolving with time, as things are changing with time, these guidelines must also evolve with time. And that should be a process where the people should be at the heart of it, the consumer should be at the center of it. And that's where civil society organizations, NGOs, human rights activists, and industry, government, all the stakeholders have to come together, including consumers, to, to sort of arrive at something which is a uh, progressive in nature and which makes sure that everything is functioning as it should be having said that it's always a challenge uh, you know to make sure that you know you are keeping uh, sort of everything uh, as it should be and i think that challenge to meet that challenge uh, it is important that you get the support of the wider community and the wider community is there to support these platforms to help them evolve and sort of progressively update the community guidelines all right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense in that. Uh, I want to jump on the next topic now. And that is the Chinese app ban. So there's no more PUBG. There's no more TikTok. There's no more cam scanner. <laughs> so do you think this is a justified policy response given how the Chinese firewall in China prevents applications as well? Or is it an extreme measure taken by the Indian government? So I think it's again, uh, you know, I've said this before uh, in, in the media, the fact that uh, this is again a double-edged sword. What, what so what is happening see on one hand um, one can understand the sentiment of the government behind banning the chinese app there was a huge strategic compulsion for the government to act and to do something about uh, you know the adventurism on the border the chinese the pla was trying to sort of uh, you know go beyond the positions they are holding and i think that's something which i think the indian army is tackling at the border very well 
now leading up to that uh, the indian government of course decided to ban these apps and uh, while you can sort of understand why they are banning these apps and why you know they're doing it because you know it's a response to the aggressive uh, uh, sort of positioning of the pla at the border and the whole chinese aggression against india but at the same time uh, on the te- on technical grounds the ban is uh, flawed because we're looking at the it act um, and the way the the government has gone about banning the apps if it were to go to the supreme court it may not sort of uh, sit, uh, sort of uh, pass the test of the court uh, so what do you do in this situation the ideal way forward should have been a still is a data protection law uh, regime which sort of has clear mechanism where it sort of identifies privacy concerns security concerns and then the government has greater teeth legitimate legitimacy as well to be able to ban something which it thinks uh, unfit for the country but the idea currently through which it's banning doesn't so i think this is where i think the whole problem is uh however at the same time the aggression from the china and the threat from china is huge uh and uh, john just looking at the apps i think you're looking at the hardware technology which they're trying to sell us especially the 5g technology the threat over there is greater and i think their indian government has been more proactively taking a stance with respect to at least uh reviewing the technology more comprehensively and also having more internal discussions with respect to whether they should uh implement the 5g from china from huawei city or not so those concerns are huge and those concerns are also very legitimate but at the same time if you do not have a data protection law you will not have the legal teeth and also a mechanism to be able to protect the privacy and security of the citizens of india so this comes back to our original point and we've been talking about it uh, for couple of years actually two and a half three years the fact that you need a data protection law more than ever right now to protect not just citizens privacy but also india's national security uh speaking of data protection there have been a couple of recent updates which have taken place on that end from the government side right uh, we just spoke about the non personal data protection uh, laws which will soon be enabled uh, we're looking at medicinal data which is being looked at medical data uh, for personnel which is which is also something that is going on in the policy space so uh do you think that uh steps being taken towards data protection are they uh, are they creating a conducive or a restrictive environment for the indian entrepreneurial ecosystem for for younger startups which are not able to adhere to such strict data policy reforms right from the get go no i no i i think i think data protection laws will help the indian startups grow i think uh, privacy is critical and nothing cannot nothing can be compromised with respect to user privacy because uh the consumer is at the heart of the data economy uh so the privacy rights sort of come before the economic uh, uh output but at the same time yes i think uh, the way uh, the laws are drafted especially when you're looking at one big problem is localization of data in india now that is going to get a lot of hurdles for indian entrepreneurs the passage of a data protection law uh, a strong data protection law will actually enable indian startups and indian industry to uh, uh, sort of create more jobs and enhance their economic output but the problem will be if you are storing or localizing all the data within the territory of india and not allowing it to flow to other countries that is going to create a lot of hurdles sort of challenges for the entrepreneurs in india 
Number two is I believe I believe you are referring to I believe you are referring to strong data localization acting as a hindrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Data localization will hinder Indian startups growth. Uh, not not a data protection law. In fact, a data protection law will actually help them. But if within the ambit of a data protection law, you have data localization, which we have currently, that's going to cause some challenges. Number two is when you look at the non-person data committee report, which came out, which is basically saying that all the uh, not anonymized data and non-person data, which part of that is our insights of companies should be mandatory shared with other businesses. This is going to create further hurdles for the startups and the entrepreneurs as well as the industry. It also might lead to certain intellectual property conflict, which will make India a less attractive destination for investors to invest in the future, which means lesser jobs and lesser growth for our company. So there are certain uh, 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 sort of sub-policies within these staff regulations which are of a problem. And there is a lot of consultation taking place within the ecosystem to address these issues. And what we've seen, uh, the data protection bill from 2018 to 2019, government has taken a step forward with respect to localization. They have sort of eased it a bit, but not enough yet to for the industry or for the ecosystem to say, yeah, this is a great bill. So there is some work required there. And I think there's a lot of work required on the non-person data company report, which is uh, which requires further consultation and has to address IP challenges, um, forcing data sharing, uh, also the lack of data flows between uh, countries. So these issues, these economic issues have to be addressed, um, as well as you know the lack of a surveillance law in India currently uh, means that uh, what we are seeing in the data protection law and the NPD report is clear access to data to the government whenever they want. And again, once again, that is some sort of a, that'll be a trust barrier between the industry and the government. And it also could, make India a less attractive destination because we've spoken to a lot of startups and industry and they say, well, if the government just asks for it, we have to get that will make it a little more difficult to do business in India. So that uh, reduces our ease of business ranking. So, so poorer data pressure laws will have a direct consequence on India's GDP growth. Uh, the need for surveillance reforms will enhance India's attractiveness as a as a as a market for investors. So a lot of these uh, policies and uh, laws which cater to uh, citizens' right and consumer right have a clear economic consequence. And the, the greater we protect the consumer and the citizen, the better the economic output will be. I think, uh, I think speaking on this topic, I think there is a great uh, social, social response as well, right? Because lack of privacy also has a chilling effect on people where uh, they they trust and comfort by using using various social media platforms or using various other platforms where they're sharing their where they're sharing their data. The the comfort right. and the privacy over there, these these are important factors now for, for the Indian exactly. for the Indian and, and internationally for people in general. You're looking I mean, at a European company, for example, and you look at right. GDPR and uh, I think know, uh, I think we should all I think we should all watch the social dilemma once just to just to reconfirm things on Netflix. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, for example, when you look at GDPR, and now GDPR is probably the benchmark of data protection law in the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it has clear safeguards for consumers uh, with respect to violation of their rights on the internet. At the same time, it allows free flow of data 
through multiple mechanisms. Some of those are advocacy mechanisms, which Europe can sign with other countries, where you can do business with other countries. You can facilitate data sharing protocols, and you can enable uh, creation of new age technologies such as AI, or, uh, you know, AI and other technologies, which the foundation of those technologies is actually dependent on access to data. So you can't really stop the flow of data uh, in the world. You, you you can't really create a sort of a blanket firewall or a sort of a data wall where you know you say this cannot go beyond the borders of this country. That will harm economic interests. You, what you can do is come up with certifications where which where you have minimum safeguards and threshold of data protection uh, of Indian data wherever it goes, be it Europe, US, um, you know within Asia. Asia or other continents. Uh, so you basically are having the highest standards of privacy, but at the same time, you're also making uh, sure that you maximize the economic opportunities with respect to processing of data, because that's how the economies globally are evolving and data is the future. And we've sort of been talking about it, we've been dating about it a lot, and that's how things will shape up in the next 10, 15 years. And that's where China has uh, sort of done a lot of work. And I think uh, we also need to sort of uh, support our uh, industries and organizations and startups to go and, uh, you know, set up offices abroad, uh, process data abroad, come up with technology solutions for the global customer, which can uh, then help us to actually create greater economic value for our own company, which will lead to more jobs and better GDP growth. Okay, great. So I just have two more questions for you. Uh, what advice do you have for aspiring folks who wish to enter the public policy space? I think a lot of the folks who are entering are quite smart and uh, they have a lot of wisdom already. Uh, but uh, I think the advice I can give learning from my experiences, just, you know, the need to be patient. Uh, number one with outcomes. I think, you know, uh, what we're seeing is a lot of people just want instant uh, outputs and outcome that won't happen uh, and India is a slow country we and the, the ecosystem works slowly we have a lot of stakeholders uh, you have to work with so things take time to happen so I think those who want to start a think tank or want to make an impact uh, must remember that uh, it's a long game it's a long battle and you're here for the long run so got to be patient with uh, with how you uh, sort of institutionalize your organization come up with ideas and then start talking about it uh, without you know falling too fast on your head so it's it's critical that the people who are trying to start something new understand that you know they have a long 10 15 20 year vision uh, for the dialogue when we started and we are i think in the first five years of any organization you're still in the starting phase and we've just finished three years we are still figuring out a lot of things for ourselves also and uh, you know as things are shaping up as as the country is moving forward as things are happening uh, you have to be flexible with how your organization will evolve but have a vision have a broader vision but you should be flexible in terms of uh, tailoring the needs of the ecosystem also as tailoring the needs of multiple stakeholders as well as tailoring the needs of what you yourself want the organization to be so um, it's never uh, it's never a functioning it's never an outcome uh, in an isolated format uh, whatever organization you are doing you're building uh, it's part of a larger ecosystem so it has to integrate with how the ecosystem works and 
if you want to bring change, the change has to come uh, internally. Uh, it has to be bottom up and it has to be pushed through within the ecosystem upwards. Uh, so that's very critical uh, for those who want to start. Uh, they, they sort of understand that. Uh, also the fact that, uh, you know, um, the ideas which you talk about must be implementable in the real life. And many times what we've seen is, you know, we have this tendency of bringing in ideas from across the world and just sort of copy pasting it for India. Uh, sometimes that, or many times that doesn't work. Uh, so it's it's important to see what works for India, what works in the current political ecosystem uh, that you are living with, what works in the current uh, ecosystem where the industry is, what works in the current regulatory infrastructure and how much you can move the needle. And you have to take it step by step rather than going for one big uh, sort of change. The change has to be incremental. Change can never be uh, like a leap. Uh, sort of, I mean, in the, at least in the policy ecosystem, change comes in an incremental manner. For example, when you just giving an example, the TRA just came up with a report where it said that you know the ODTs should not be regulated right now. They should, the government should take some time and then come back to it. Now, these guidelines and this report is a success for a lot of us, uh, but it took time for the ecosystem to arrive at a point where it can convince the TRAI to do this. So. And it's an incremental change, and change happens in smaller basis, and it ha then sort of uh, sort of uh, becomes one large policy change, which leads to a big outcome. Uh, another thing which I think is critical is to be able to measure small success into big success. So you know, uh, in terms of talking about policy, the first success would be uh, hearing or sort of getting people to hear you. That's an important success. Then building capacity of stakeholders. That's an important success. Once you build their capacity, once they understand the issues, only then will they be able to sort of work with you and say, okay, fine, let's reform this idea. You can't go straight on and say, do this or do that. Nobody will listen to you. You have to be able to understand what language to speak in, how to speak in, uh, and then having small milestones step by step and then build towards a larger milestone of eventual policy change or reforms or whatever you want to talk about. So that again is a five to 10 year journey and uh, it, it, it takes time to build legitimacy. It takes time to build uh, authority in the space. But at the same time, it's very critical to have positive progressive relationships with people who are in power and people who can move the needle and people who understand these issues as well as people who want to talk about these issues. So you have to bring everybody together. It has to be a collaborative effort. A lot of the times we are seeing that, you know, people tend to be confrontational and that's not going to work, uh, especially, in, uh, you know, in, in, in these times, confrontational attitude is not going to lead to any policy success. It has to be a collaborative approach. It has to be a, a integrated approach with stakeholders. Yet at the same time, making sure that your voice is heard the way you want it to be heard. So you have to be able to speak in the language where you know that the stakeholder who is sitting on a policy or is working on reforms or whatever understands and those those ecosystems understand your point of view and the point of view you want to talk about by having taken inputs from multiple stakeholders yourself. So merging all of that together and then arriving at a solution. That takes time. So I think patience is critical. Okay, that's great. Uh, I have one final question for you. All right. Uh, how conducive do you think is the current policy framework of India? For the entrepreneurial ecosystem 
and how can the various actors improve it further like what would be the next immediate steps they should be taking to make this a much better environment for entrepreneurship so are we talking about uh, entrepreneurs in think tanks or general in general in general in general entrepreneurship i i i feel that uh, there is a need to uh, support the entrepreneurs right now there is a need to deregulate uh, the sector a little more uh, and I, i i do believe that you know government should think of uh, not just financial support and you know talking about loans or cheaper loans or grants but at the same time fostering the attitude of innovation uh is important and that's where critical feedback and the ability to take critical feedback is very important for the government i think that's not happening as much as we would like that to happen do you uh, at the same time you know do you think that uh, the recent recent focus on the word atmanirbhata and the recent focus on fostering uh, indian innovation no that's think- great right but do you think that is a step in the right direction i, I think do you think that is something where it's- good words i mean those are those are great words uh, but a lot of that even in the startup program we saw in 2015 hasn't really actually implemented anything on the ground and organizations are still you know sort of largely left to themselves to feed or to look after investments you know we don't have a strong indian uh, vc venture capitalist ecosystem number one uh, number two i think uh, talking about the startups and funding um the government is looking at allowing startups to list abroad and which is a great step forward because they can access foreign market capital in foreign markets but at the same time government is forcing them to also list in india which will reduce their valuation which will also reduce uh their sort of overall ability to uh, sort of get funding so these policies are a hindrance i mean especially the one i just spoke about and sebi and the ministry of finance and other government departments are working on this on one hand they are doing a great job by allowing startups to list abroad but then they are saying that a startup or a company has to list in india which means that uh and in india when you list in india the the sort of the mechanism is through profitability and abroad it's through market valuation and a lot of the startups in this sector the tech sector are based on valuation focus a lot more on valuation the long term valuation not just profitability which is how india looks at it and now because of that the overall uh, valuation of the startup would reduce in that case right uh, so this is something which the government should reconsider this is a, in fact a major hindrance and we've spoken to a few of, of, of these organizations and they say that this is a challenge then again you know just talking about tech and the policies in the privacy space or the npd space hinder uh, the growth of startups uh, the fact that you know you're forcing them to localize mandatory data sharing uh, you know lack of surveillance reforms and access to government uh, with respect to any data they want at any point of time uh these are the policies some of these policies uh, are a little bit of hindrance and will definitely impact the growth of startups so i think the government must relook at these policies and we've been writing about it, publishing papers sending submissions regularly so i hope that something happens soon on this i think uh, just adding to what you mentioned uh with respect to access to funding i believe it was from 0 to 1 by peter thiel where he mentions that you know tech companies really focus on future cash flows rather than profitability at the at the get go right yeah because they're setting up their infrastructure yeah. they're setting up their entire foundation so they're looking yeah. at future cash flows whether it was linkedin back in 2005 looking at future cash flows 
or or any other startup uh, or any other tech startup when it comes to that uber even even an uber was listed uber wasn't profitable uber exactly was future profitability right and uh, we also the we work debacle but <laughs> nonetheless uh, nonetheless startups do rely on future cash flows rather than existing profitability yeah. and i don't think the indian current indian public market ecosystem will appreciate that greatly right because over here the focus on financial exactly. focus on existing financials is much greater than looking at the future outlook of the, of the organization right so right. i think definitely right. definitely if being allowed to list on say nasdaq for example which is a much more tech centric uh or do we say stock exchange as compared to say the indian nse or bse right it would just provide access to greater liquidity and access to much better valuations for these startups like much exactly uh, definitely thank you thank you so much for joining us today kazim we had a we had a great Pleasure time and we wish you and the dialogue lot. the best of luck for the future thank you thank you uh, thank you so much thank Pleasure you so talking much. to you thank you so much uh, thank you so much everyone for joining us for this episode dna not podcast is available on youtube apple music spotify and google podcasts be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook to receive all updates on the upcoming episodes we'll see you in the next one thank you